Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley, a vice president with the Kinetics Group. And today we will be continuing with part two of a conversation we've been having with our friend and business partner, Ron Schleif. Ron is a co-founder and principal of Oncology Reimbursement Management, a consulting and research services firm that helps life sciences companies determine whether oncology products are positioned for maximum success with key access and reimbursement payers, providers, distributors, and other stakeholders. He and his partner, Bruce Edlin, come from a life sciences background and bring a wealth of experience and knowledge about reimbursement strategies. Ron, we're very grateful to have you with us again for part two of our conversation. Thanks, Warren. My co-host today is my friend and colleague, Neil Pizer. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Warren. Part uh, one of this conversation was a fascinating dive into clinical treatment pathways and formulary decision-making. I'm looking forward to hearing Ron's insights into his firm's syndicated reports as well as his thoughts on how life sciences companies should be navigating these complex issues. Thanks for being with us again, Ron. You bet, Neil. Ron, in our uh, previous conversation, we talked about the presentation you gave at the Confera conference last year. There was a whole section of that presentation that we didn't have time for, where you discussed the different approaches to clinical treatment pathways. I'm guessing that some of that information was informed by your annual syndicated reports. Would you mind telling us about your syndicated reports, what they are, how you use their data? Uh, sure, Neil. Um, I guess uh, we've been doing this for the last five years now, where as, as it became somewhat clear that providers were going to play an increasingly important role on preference and restrictions and start to develop their own treatment pathways, we wanted to understand that. And so for the last five years, we've gone out to 85 different organizations across the country that most of them are the largest organizations. So we've got uh, virtually all of the NCCN uh, uh, cancer centers, the NCI designated comprehensive cancer centers, and the largest uh, community practices, as well as large IDNs like Kaiser and Geisinger and Mayo. And uh, we've been tracking, I think we're up to nine cancers now, where we ask very uh, specific and detailed information regarding the drugs that are used within those cancers. And we look at it from the three prominent tools that they tend to use, uh, which uh, would be formularies, clinical pathways that they use, if they use them, as well as uh, treatment plans that would be embedded in EMRs and order entry systems. And and really what we're interested in is when a physician, one of their oncologists is sitting across from a patient and looking to easily order a regimen or a product for that particular patient, what can they access? through that organization in order to prescribe a certain regimen. And that access will be dependent at times based upon what's in the formulary, 
what's in the clinical pathways, and ultimately what treatment plans or order set are embedded within their EMR. And uh, we've, like I said, look at this uh, across cancers like breast cancer, lung cancer, colorectal cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian, but also multiple myeloma, which is has been interesting uh, because uh, within multiple myeloma, breast cancer and lung cancer, we can clearly see some stepping of therapy where, as you might imagine, uh, there are certain regimens that are preferred first line or second line, and then other regimens that are relegated to second, third, or fourth line after those previous and prior regimens have been used. Ron, earlier in the prior episode, you mentioned that when you've seen one institution, you've seen one institution. So your pathways presentation highlighted these variations in clinical pathway use by the different payers and providers as well as within the different disease states. Can you talk for a moment about what you're seeing in the in terms of variation in use between the different providers? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Warren. From a structure standpoint, we see variation in terms of which which cancers are employed and, and the lines of therapy that they will uh, take their therapies out to. But I think a, a really good example of that is uh, those organizations and particularly institutions that use Clinical Path by uh, Elservier, uh, formerly Via Pathways. Though that's a third-party vendor that utilizes oncologists and hematologists from across the country to inform which regimen should be incorporated into their pathways and then uh, provide subscription to those pathways. And what we see from organizations across the country is they'll pick and choose which of those cancers they want to uh, subscribe to. And more importantly, Clinical Path allows these organizations to customize those pathways and the regimens within those pathways at the local level. And um, I remember talking with Kathy Loke back uh, when she was president of Via Pathways several years ago about their their need to do that in order to create broader audience for those pathways between institutions and community practices and recognize the different economics that organizations may view the regimens from where you've got, you know, GPO contracting uh, going on in community practices and 340B pricing going on at institutions, the economics may look very different. And therefore, those preferences and restrictions and inclusions of regimens that the providers wanted the ability to make that. So we've, we've looked across organizations with you know, uh, an eye towards breast cancer, lung cancer, multiple myeloma, and you see uh, just a, a very different approach. And I suspect that it's largely due to uh, certain oncologist beliefs that uh, a, a particular regimen is is really warranted and necessary for the treatment of certain patients. It's not in the pathway and they want it in there and the organization's willing to put it in there in order to increase the buy-in among their oncologists to to effectively utilize those those treatment pathways. 
Sounds tremendously complicated. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, how does a pharmaceutical company navigate that complexity? Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, maybe you can address and share your thoughts on how life science companies should be training their field teams or trying to navigate this complex uh, world of pathways. Sure. are listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the Kinetics Group. TKG empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at thekineticsgroup.com. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, Ron, let's get back to your thoughts on how life science companies should be training their field teams to navigate this complex environment. I know you have some specific thoughts on that and actually included some thoughts in your notes to me the other day. Yeah, Warren, um, I think virtually all the, the, the pharma companies that we work with have a couple of different levels within their organizations to, to work with these um, these organizations that create pathways and these preferences and restrictions, uh, almost all of them have uh, some type of national accounts uh, level team that will be responsible, uh, certainly for for payer pathways like uh, you know Anthem's Ames or United Healthcare's pathways, uh, New Century Health, but they'll also be responsible for working with U.S. oncology often and for El Servier uh, and their clinical path in order to ensure that they've got all the clinical and economic information that may be useful for uh, decision-making and also to hopefully understand which oncologists are part of the various committees that make up the pathway committees and decision-making teams on this to uh, to ensure that they have the appropriate perspective on products and regimens and and uh, how it it differs from com uh, fr- from competition so that um, so that they can make the best decisions possible when they're deciding what to what to include within their pathways that's probably the easier route to go in terms of, of training just because it's very focused and there's a small number of organizations to focus on where I think many uh, pharma companies are more challenged is when you get out into the market as a whole and you start to deal with these individual institutions and the variance between the individual individual institutions. It's like we talked about in the last segment, it's really not possible to have, I think, the the amount of resources and sophistication to deal with every one of these institutions in a way that could position your product most appropriately uh, from a kind of a population-based decision-maker approach. So most of the companies tend to create uh, archetypes or segments and prioritize within those segments, the organizations that they feel they they really need to win in and then use uh, account selling uh, approaches 
and uh, individuals within the field team in order to ensure that they're getting to the right people and getting the right information to those people, both from a clinical standpoint, meaning both efficacy and and tolerability, but also any kind of economic information that can be uh, important to the kind of uh, uh, treatment decisions that that organization is is geared towards. And as we talked about on our last segment, I mean, that could be costs. That could be total cost of care uh, that that includes uh, keeping patients uh, out of the hospital, out of the emergency room, out of the ICU or any other type of supportive care. Uh, and that could be cost recovery as well that uh, that these organizations are, are interested in as well. And that requires, uh, again, a, a fairly high level of sophistication typically uh, uh, driven by account managers, major selling to understand the organization, how they're structured, how they make decisions, who influences those decisions, and then to pull together uh, almost in a quarterback way the, uh, the, the, the resources that the company has in order to, to uh, ensure that all the information is, uh, is achieved uh, with those decision makers that it needs to in order to lead to the right decisions. Sounds like um, this is quite involved, Ryan, but uh, also sounds like a very practical framework. Do you have any examples that you might be able to share where this model was used and what kind of results they saw? Well, I know we've uh, we worked specifically with one uh, client in the area of, of colorectal cancer and specifically, uh, again, took a targeted approach, actually focused on those organizations that had pathways where they were not uh, appropriately positioned relative to their competition, and then uh, worked with their field teams in order to identify in those select accounts the decision makers. And oftentimes, uh, so this is going to be uh, within the the GI oncology team and who are who are the influencers uh, you know what are their beliefs and uh, what information uh, needs to be provided in order to really kind of help them uh, see the benefits of a particular regimen in light of other treatment choices and uh, understand the value of putting this particular regimen uh, on pathway. It's, you know, there's no, there's no single approach that works for any one of these institutions. I think it's, it's, it's really important that it's the field team that's closest to the customer that ultimately has to uh, be driving the, uh, the, the, the process in terms of determining what, what needs to be done in what order in order to have the highest chance for success. And again, just uh, can't emphasize, I mean, because of how challenging and difficult that can be and the limited resources, uh, most companies need to uh, to take a very targeted approach to uh, where they're going to place their bets and and how how much effort they're going to put into uh, to winning. And I was just wondering, Ron, is there uh, various uh, variations in level of receptivity of providers to hearing from these uh, field folks from the pharmaceutical companies? And what drives that variation, if there is? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, certainly the answer to that is yes. Almost 
all the larger organizations have a very specific process by which you, any pharmaceutical company can submit uh, data very similar to what NCCN has for pharmaceutical companies to submit information for the decision making within their guidelines. And it's something that's well laid out, uh, usually on websites that they can follow. When you, when you try and get to uh, some of the influencers of those decisions, that's where you get into uh, significant uh, differences in openness towards what pharmaceutical companies have to offer. I was just actually looking at this, not solely from a clinical pathway standpoint, but even from a treatment uh, plan standpoint here about a month or so ago, we had we'd gone to 85 different organizations and asked the oncology clinical pharmacist to what degree they were willing to uh, accept information and what information they valued from pharmaceutical companies when they're developing the order sets and the treatment plans that they put within their systems. And I would say about 50% of the organizations basically said, no, nah, we don't need anything. We've got this and we've got all the, the resources and capabilities to do everything. And we really don't value anything from a pharma company. And the other half actually were quite open to particularly information about uh, patient out-of-pocket resources, reimbursement resources, but also any other uh, clinical information that may not be published, any uh, specific order set information that was utilized in the, uh, the, the pivotal clinical trial, all of that uh, information ultimately the, uh, the organization's going to need to access. And like I said, about 50% of them have an openness to, uh, to accessing that from the pharma company. So, uh, uh, and the other 50% will just block you on your way in. Ron, this seems to be getting more complicated as time goes on. Let me ask you about the future. What do you see as the future? Is this going to get easier or harder? What do you think is going to happen going forward with, with the pathways discussion? Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's going to get harder. And I think we've, We've absolutely seen that trend over the last five years, and there's a couple of things going on in the marketplace that are that are driving that. Uh, first is just the um, solutions that are being uh, offered in in the marketplace and developed by by pharma companies. The, the degree to which targeted therapy is 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 getting to new targets that's going to expand the the structure of these pathways and even uh, what's included in treatment plans and, and order sets to to recognize the variations in genetic mutations that uh, pa- patients have and therefore the different therapies that uh, need to be available to those patients. But in addition, you also see that increasingly there are similar products of a similar mechanism of action that are being developed as well. I think we're up to seven, uh, maybe soon to be eight or nine PD-1 inhibitors, uh, checkpoint inhibitors. And uh, even though they're trying to differentiate themselves in terms of some of the cancers that they're targeting, I'm not sure a lot of providers feel the need to have all of those PD-1 inhibitors 
on their formula in their pathways and uh, different regimens within their treatment plants because that tends to create complexity, and uh, they're trying to drive standardization as much as possible. The other thing that's going on in the environment that I think is going to drive complexity is uh, really uh, alternative payment models and driving towards total cost of care kind of mentality in the marketplace, whether that's driven by by CMS or even uh, commercial payers. The what we've heard from providers, uh, the first couple years of OCM, they were just trying to get their processes in place uh, within their practice and be able to capture the data that was necessary in order to achieve uh, and participate in some of the savings and uh, reimbursement associated with that. Then they moved towards quickly towards trying to keep patients out of the hospital and the emergency room visits, visits in the ICU. And what we're hearing now from a, a lot of practices that are still participating in this is they've, they feel like they, you know, they've kind of dealt with the low hanging fruit and meaning they're, they now, uh, have good protocols in place and processes to keep those patients out of the hospital as best they can. They're, they're, they're sharing in those savings and they're looking now towards drug regimens in specific cancers. They tend to obviously focus on the cancers that are a little bit more prevalent and the regimens that are most prevalent within those cancer types to make sure that their usage and their reimbursement and their overall spend is value in terms of uh, the patient and the payer. But I think there's no question that over the next couple of years, as we continue to uh, migrate into this space and uh, the uh, parameters change in terms of of how these uh, alternative payment models are working, that providers are going to increasingly ask questions about products and regimens that should be preferred versus ones that uh, may need to be restricted based upon uh, however they're aligned with the public or the private payer in order to achieve the the quality of care that everybody's looking for, but also the the economic uh, kind of reimbursement that the, the provider needs. Ron, you've caused my head to be spinning. This is clearly something we're going to have to stay on top of. We're going to need you to come back at some point and keep us updated on these things. This has been a fantastic discussion. We are running up on the end of our time together. I know we're going to need to get back together and and keep this conversation going on some kind of a regular basis. Thank you for your input and the help that you've been to us and over the years and also to our listeners in this case. Could you give people just briefly how to contact you if they want to? Yeah, the uh, the easiest way is probably by uh, email, uh, which would just be my first initial R uh, and followed by the last name Schleif, S-C-H-L-E-I-F like Foxtrot at Oncology R like Robert M like Mary dot com. Uh, but you can also uh, reach me via cell phone, and that number would be area code 317-690-0440. Love to, uh, to chat with anyone around uh, what we've talked about today and the kind of perspective uh, and what we hear from uh, uh, providers and payers in the marketplace. Terrific. Thank you so much, Ron. 
I appreciate your willingness to share your expertise in the complex world of oncology reimbursement. Cancer is complicated. Thanks, Warren. Thanks for having me. Ron, uh, thank you. Uh, first, for a most illuminating discussion on the complexities associated with developing and implementing clinical pathways in cancer care. And second, for shedding light on key implications for pharmaceutical companies as they navigate this, as you well described, an ever-evolving market. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Well, that wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. We hope you are enjoying these these discussions as much as we are. We welcome your suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest. Please reach out to us at thekineticsgroup.com forward slash contact and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You are listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the Kinetics Group. TKG empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at thekineticsgroup.com. Thank you for joining us today.